Hi everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of the Legal Wolf podcast which highlights the good work of professionals within the mental health sector along with challenging the stigma not only in the UK but around the world. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Charlotte. Hello Charlotte. Hello, nice to meet you. And you. So first of all, just for the listeners, would you be able to uh, introduce yourself by way of background and also your route into psychology? Yeah, um, so I realised I was interested in psychology um, quite early on, actually. So it was when I started with my A-levels at um, school and really enjoyed psychology. Then I finished my degree and I wasn't sure about what I wanted to do next, but my parents had always worked with young offenders and children that were in care homes. Um, So my dad suggested that maybe a career in the prison service would be something of interest. Um, So I applied for a job. I got my first job in the prison service as a psychology assistant um, and then I progressed from there really. Um, so I've gone from working in the prison service into a, a mental health hospital um, where I work now. Um, I did my master's degree whilst I was in um, the prison service and then I completed my British Psychological Society training as a forensic psychologist um, and okay. then did my PhD after that. Okay and Starting working in a prison as an assistant psychologist, are there many differences between working in a prison with prisoners and working with people in a mental health hospital? Um, there are there are there are differences and similarities. Um, so one of the reasons why I decided I wanted to move um, was because there was less opportunity to um, to see something in a person that you could help them with in the prison service because it was quite focused at that point on um, getting people through the accredited program system. But it meant there was limited opportunities from my point of view to be able to support people with very specific needs that they might have if you identified that. Um, whereas in a, a mental health hospital, I think you've got a bit more scope to really offer more individualised care and treatment to somebody. Yes, and moving on to that point, what is the process of rehabilitating a mental health patient through psychology? Um, so to begin with, it depends on where the person really comes into um the hospital system at. So sometimes people will be stepping down a security level, um, sometimes they might be stepping up, um, sometimes they might arrive with us and they've had some elements of treatment, so they might be at a certain point in their treatment pathway. Um, but basically the way that I would approach it would be to have a discussion with them um, and see where the person thinks that psychology could help them. Um, I would normally go with whatever the, the individual themselves thinks would be helpful psychology-wise. Um, sometimes people People don't want to do any psychology um, and I understand that position at times as well um, but then I would still try and outline the things that might help them in terms of being able to make, make that they have a, a meaningful life in the future back in a community setting um, so we'd normally start at the point that the person's happy to start with um, and then try and identify a treatment pathway that would um, cover the risks that might have been identified um, in terms of the reason that they might have been in a secure hospital um, and then work through those risks. 
normally you would try to look at somebody's um, mental well-being first and make sure that was stable before you went on to do any work on specific risk issues, just because there's some evidence that shows that um, people's own well-being means that they can understand how their um, offending behaviour might have impacted others more effectively, um, you know, if their own well-being is stable first. Yeah, and... Does each patient have a generalised psychology plan or are they all tailored to that specific individual? Uh, they're all tailored, I can only speak to the hospital that I work in, but yeah. they're all tailored to that individual um, because I think there are so many options in terms of how to work with a person um, that I think it very much needs to be tailored to that person, the things that may have happened in their lives that brought them to the point of needing um, inpatient treatment. Um, so it, they're very much tailored to the person's individual needs. Okay, and what kind of work would a psychologist undertake with a mental health patient, so in terms of the variety of options that are available for them? Yeah. Um, so it varies very much from it could be um, it could be assessment work to begin with, so to get a real understanding of the person and what their issues um, are. Yeah. It could be trauma intervention work. So that is one of the, the areas that I've specialised in. Um, so I deliver a therapy that's called EMDR, which is eye movement desensitisation and reprocessing, um, and that's to treat trauma. Um, so then other people might do some work on um, violent offending or sexual offending um, so and then obviously work on people's specific mental health problems so if they had personality disorder issues they might do some treatment for that which could be dialectical behavior therapy or schema therapy um, or if they've got mental health problems we might do some CBT with them to look at the CBT for psychosis for example um, so it's, it's a wide range that kind of gets put in a pathway to, to be combined together for that person to make sure that we've addressed their needs as, in a holistic way as possible. Okay, and then if we look at the piece of work that you specialise in, in regards yeah. to trauma and the EMDR, yes. how would you, in layman's or even specific terms, outline what that specialism is? Um, so EMDR itself. Yeah. Um, so basically, it's um, it's a type of trauma therapy. It's recommended in the NICE guidelines as one of the main therapies to treat PTSD specifically. Um, but there's a wide emerging evidence base for it to be used with um, lots of different um, disorders that might be based in traumatic experiences. Um, and it basically stimulates the brain by using bilateral stimulation, which could be eye movement, sounds, um, tactile sensors, and it gets stuck information that might be a frozen moment of time that could be traumatic it gets it moving again into somebody's whole sense of being and it reduces the distress of a traumatic memory and um, so that people's functioning hopefully returns back to um you know being something that's comfortable for them and that they can get on with their normal life again and um, so that, that that's the therapy in a nutshell um 
but the, the reason that I think it's really important within a forensic setting or a mental health setting yeah. is that although the majority of people may be there because they've committed offences, um, my my experience would tell me that they've also been victims of trauma um, quite significantly for the most part as well. Um, so actually treating their own trauma can help reduce their risk, in my opinion, for the future. Um, so that's why I think it's so important. Yeah, I mean, I, I must admit, I, I haven't heard of EMDR before in the hospitals that I've been to in the West Midlands. But no, it, it, it's it's probably relatively. It, it's I think I don't know of other clinicians that use EMDR within forensic settings, um, but it's probably more commonly found in IAPS and in the community and um, things like that. I suppose because the the focus in forensic hospitals tends to be on treating um, risk factors, um, but I, but I do think that in the course of treating somebody's mental health problem, we should be looking at some of the reasons why they may have developed a mental health problem. With, to which trauma is a contributing factor, in my opinion. Yeah, and what kind of patient would be an ideal candidate to undertake EMDR trauma-related work? Um, I would. Um, I would pretty much. There's some. There's some ways that you. There's some things that you need to be careful for before you deliver the treatment with somebody. Yeah. Um, however, I would do it with pretty much any type of patient, depend as okay. as long as they were. Um, they felt comfortable in, in theirs and mine therapeutic relationship, really. Um, so there is there's evidence that it can help people who are psychotic. Um, there, there's lots of evidence suggests it could be used with people that have, might have personality difficulties. Um, so as long as... Um, I, I would consider that the person had some abilities to regulate their own emotions and um, stability, then I, I would undertake it. Because there is an argument that, um, you know, if the trauma is what is... Um, kind of precipitating somebody's problems that actually treating it might reduce some of the um, difficult behaviours that might be seen within a mental health setting. Yes. Um, so so I'd, I would probably try with most people, as long as they gave me informed consent, they were happy yeah. with the process and they understood and they had, a, they had some trust in mine and theirs therapeutic relationship. Okay. And then moving on to another form of psychology which is the hcr 20 yeah um what would you say the importance of an, of the hcr 20 was and its relevance um, so the, the HCR20 stands for the Historical, Clinical and Risk Management Assessment and it's 20 items, which is what the 20 is for. Um, and it's what's called a Structured Professional Judgment Tool, um, which allows us to make decisions about risk that's based on um, evidence, um, but it's individualised for a person. So the, the 20 risk items would be looked at for a, a given person um, and then they would be rated to see if those items were present and then if they are present for a person, if they've got those risk factors in their life, whether they're relevant for future risk. Um, the historical items, you know, if they're there, they can't really, they can't change because they're always historical. But the clinical items and the risk management items can change over time. Um, so the, the, the importance of doing repeated assessments might be that with treatment and intervention and medication, for example, those risk factors would change over time um, and it would give people an understanding of how the risk could be managed. Because once you've done the risk assessment, it's not only an assessment, it also generates a risk management plan 
Um, so as to how specific risks that might have been identified could be managed if somebody was to be discharged back into the community, which ultimately should be the aim of, um, you know, of anybody that we're treating, that they're discharged safely back into the community. Yes, ab- absolutely. And how is a risk determined? Because I, I know when I've read HCR20s to prepare for tribunal hearings, um, it seems to be categorised with high, medium and low. Yeah. But how does a psychologist get to that point in being able to determine whether the risk is high, medium and low? Do, do you have a open discussion with colleagues? Um, we do. So it's, it's a, it should be a multidisciplinary assessment. Um, I mean, what I can say from my point of view is that I don't categorise risk into high, medium or low. Oh, okay. If I can help it, I would rather give an individualised formulation of somebody's risk. Yes. Um, because actually, I suppose, I, I, know, I, I know lots of... Um, kind of courtroom settings want to be told whether something's high, medium or low. Yeah. But actually it doesn't it doesn't really mean very much. Um so what I do think the HCR twenty is, is good at doing is providing an individual formulation of risk. So to explain how that person's risk might be increased if they were put in a certain situation or how in fact it could be decreased or how it could be managed with support and intervention. Um so that's what I actually think the HCR twenty is, is good at doing in terms of um, taking the opinions from a number of professionals um, to provide an individual kind of care plan and support plan to make sure risk is managed to protect the public. Yeah, and how often is the HCR20 reviewed? Um, I think the, the, the guidelines within the author's manual is between 12 to 18 months, um, but really it should be reviewed when there's any major change in a person's life. Yes. Um, so that could be incidents or change in the person's life, you know, something's happened that might affect how they might respond. Um, I think most hospitals um, would review them as a 12 months as a matter of course. That's a, a pretty usual standard. Um, but so 12 months tends to be the, the kind of time scale that people look at in terms of a review period but if somebody was going to go if somebody was going to be discharged into the community for example we would update the risk assessment at that point before they got discharged um, with, an, with an eye to the fact that they were going to be discharged into the community so there may be other um, risk factors or um, differences to the person's life being present. Yeah and what constitutes a downgrade in risk? Well, it can come through a number of ways, really, in terms of a downgraded risk. So the risk factor might be treated, for example. Um, so dynamic risk factors are risk factors that can change and they may respond to treatment. So sometimes there'll be a specific risk factor which may have responded really well to treatment. Um, so trauma might be an example of that. So that might have responded really well to treatment. So the risk is diminished. Um, the other thing might be that in the course of treatment, we may have determined how to manage a person's specific risks more successfully. Um, so although the risk may have not changed itself for that person, as professionals, we may have worked out a way to keep the person safe and to keep the public safe, um, you know, by putting external contingencies in place or making sure that a person has access to specific medication or support in a community setting. Um, so a downgrading of risk, I believe, can come from change within the individual through, you know, support and changes they may may want to make but also through understanding somebody's risk and how it may occur better to make sure that we put things in place to support them yes yeah um and then 
My final question for a bit of lightheartedness is <laughs> what would your dream job be and why? Um, my dream job would be being um, like a, a kind of a, a PA for a really cool company like um, Google or Coca-Cola, one of the big oh, brands, wow. but that would that would involve a high like level of organisation and filing and things like that because I'm a, I'm a bit geeky when it comes to filing and organisation, <laughs> so I think that would be my that would be my dream job, bizarrely enough. No, that that sounds great. I mean. It it would probably be a lot of fun working yeah. for someone like Google or Coca Cola or Facebook, Twitter. I can imagine yes. there would be a lot of fun just lounging around on bean bags and just going in your own clothes <laughs> and and do do just doing your own thing really. Yeah, it seems like a, like a good kind of a vibe, but also it would incorporate my love of organising as well. So it, it would combine those things together and it seems like it would be fun. I was kind of inspired by um, Donna out of Suits. I don't know if you've seen Suits, but she's yeah. a, a legal secretary who's very good at organising. So it's that kind of thing that I'm, uh, I'd be focused on. Yeah, S- Suits is kind of when whenever you're at university studying a law degree, and they recommend corporate or commercial law, they say, well, just go and have a look at Suits, because that's what it's going to be like. And it's like, it's like <laughs> yeah. far from the truth, but it, it certainly sells the profession. Yeah, well, Don, Donna sold that level of um, secretarial skill to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been great having you on the podcast, Charlotte, and I hope the listeners have taken away some insights into the role of a forensic psychologist within a mental health setting. So thank you for taking the time out to be part of the show. Thank you very much as well. And that concludes today's episode with the brilliant Charlotte. Please feel free to leave a review after you've listened to the episode and also like the Legal Wolf LinkedIn page or the Instagram page to receive further updates in regards to future episodes and other content that Legal Wolf will be publishing. Thank you.